0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
0: And I'm Sarah Vaughn. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, July 22, 2020.
3: And I got in trouble. Good trouble. Necessary trouble.
2: In today's feature report, we look back at the legacy of John Lewis, a Georgia congressman and black civil rights leader who died on Friday. In September of 2015, he gave a talk at the IU Auditorium titled, The Power of Words. We revisit that lecture in today's program.
0: Also coming up in the next half hour, you'll hear from the Monroe County School Board meeting on Tuesday, where board members discussed reopening for the fall semester. But first, your local headlines.
2: Here are three things you need to know today. WFHB correspondent Aaron Comforty
1: filed today's news briefing. 763 new cases of COVID-19 were reported in Indiana on Tuesday, according to the Indiana State Department of Health, which also attributed six new deaths to COVID-19 this week. Locally, Monroe County saw five new confirmed cases yesterday, while Lawrence and Brown counties saw two and three new reported cases, respectively. The Monroe County Community School Corporation announced its reopening plans yesterday. It committed to a five-day school week with an online option for students who prefer that method. Safety questions were at the heart of the corporation's announcement, and they noted that in some situations, like school buses, for example, maintaining social distancing would be impossible. The school's reopening has ignited passionate debate on social media. In an off-the-record comment, one teacher said, I think about our principal. I know they couldn't hold back from holding a crying student's hand even if the kid's face mask wasn't properly on. On March 19th, the day when Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb ordered that schools close down in-person operations, 23 confirmed cases of COVID-19 were reported in the state. Yesterday, by contrast, as the end of summer break approaches, Indiana reported 763 new cases. Observers question whether transmission will increase with the return of in-person school. The school corporation outlined additional sanitation measures intended to reduce transmission. They did not, however, address safety measures for the custodial staff who would carry out many of those sanitation measures. And on July 28th, IU's Confronting Racism series continues with a live-streamed panel discussion on social justice and incarceration issues. The discussion will be live-streamed on the Arts and Humanities Facebook page. And that's your Local Brief from WFHB. I'm Aaron Comforti.
0: Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton and City Clerk Nicole Bolden say they will commit to participating in and providing anti-racism training for elected officials in Monroe County. According to a city press release, the city will select a training program this week. A request for qualifications, or RFQ, will be released on the city website and through social media to start the selection process. The city is looking for programming that, quote, will supply staff and elected officials with tools and strategies to address structural racism and advance racial equity, unquote. The city aims to complete the training by the end of this year.
4: City Controller Jeff Underwood proposed the fourth maximum guaranteed price or GMP for the 4th Street Garage to the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission. He said the total expenses for the garage are below the $19 million budget.
5: And then GMP 4 is the last and final uh, contract uh, with Wilhelm as our um, general contractor and uh, partner on this. Um, the amount of GMP4 uh, that you're actually approving is $13,108,729. Uh, and if you go down past the AIA, uh, there's actually a summary of each of the GMPs uh, that have been approved and what we're asking you to approve. And then I ask them to put this exhibit together so that you see the all-in cost uh, for Wilhelm to construct the 4th Street Garage will be 17000000 379, 978.
4: Underwood said only completely unknown factors could possibly cause the project to go over budget. City Attorney Larry Allen said the Redevelopment Commission was also responsible for legal fees from the cases trying to obtain the property of Juan Carascal for garage expansion.
6: Uh, Under Indiana Code, um,
3: we are responsible for legal fees if you're unsuccessful in the courts. Um, And we decided that because of what we wanted to get the most out of our garage and and made kind of a a risk analysis calculation of the potential cost of taking this to an appeal, which we we thought we would have likely uh, been successful on, but it would have cost us time and significant more expenses and uh, construction costs just from the delay and the uncertainty of obtaining the land. So we decided to let this lie at the trial court. Uh, We have settled an amount uh, with an agreement of the landowners, attorneys, uh, that amount of money is $62,250. And that would be paid out of the project budget.
4: Allen said because the project is RDC funded, they must cover court expenses. Allen clarified the city took the case to court, not the RDC. Commissioner Lee Sandwise said the garage was planned to benefit the public and the court should have ruled in favor of the city. Commissioners unanimously approved the MGP and legal fees.
2: The City of Bloomington Utilities Department invited residents to participate in a volunteer program called Adopt a Drain. According to a city press release, the volunteer program was created to keep local storm drains clear to prevent flooding and preserve water quality. Volunteers would commit to clearing certain drains before heavy rains. Drains are commonly clogged with materials such as, quote, grass clippings, leaves, trash, and other debris, end quote, that must be removed before a heavy rain. Drain inspection would be required once a month along with a quarterly online report. To sign up or learn more, visit the City of Bloomington Utilities webpage.
4: The Richland Bean Blossom School Board discussed and approved changes to the reopening plan. Superintendent Jerry Sander said the school corporation will continue to work with the Monroe County Health Department and school's plan to open on August 5th. Sanders said people should expect changes to the reopening plan and should prepare for the unexpected.
5: When a student or a staff uh, has a positive test or somebody in their family has a positive test, uh, our first course of action is going to be contacting the the, uh, Indiana State Health Department and the Monroe County Health Department. And then uh, they will conduct contact tracing and determine uh, who that person interacted with. Based on the contact tracing, that'll tell us um, to what degree uh, we might have to have closure. Uh, We we may find out that that, whoever it is might not have had any contact with uh, anybody at RBB or might be a limited number, might be just a classroom. Uh, or just one school. Uh, so based on that contact tracing, based on the conversations with the health department, uh, that'll determine what we do at, at that point, and then we would communicate that uh, to our families. So,
4: Sanders said teachers must be prepared for online teaching and parents must plan for child care. He said many students already registered for the coming school year.
5: As of today, uh, we had, we've had we had uh, 1,878 students to register, that's 70.18%. Uh, and of those uh, 1,878, 1,677 of those, uh, or 89.3% have chosen in, the in-school option. Uh, 201 students, uh, I should say probably their parents, <laughs> Uh, chose virtual school and that's uh, 10.7 percent and uh, so we still have uh, 798 students uh, still to register.
4: Sanders said a student's registration plan can be changed before August 14th by calling their building principal. He said the school corporation has 20,000 masks available for students. Sanders presented plan changes for the schools.
5: The early childhood center uh, changed their plan for uh, water bottles, uh, so now the, the plan will read that students will bring, bring personal water bottle, bottles to school each day and water bottles will be provided as needed. Water bottles will go home each day to be washed uh, and water fountains will not be used. Uh, that's the new language. And then uh, we didn't have any changes at the primary school. Uh, at the intermediate school uh, we added the desk shields will be used in grades uh, three, three through five. And since we'll have the desk shields uh, in place, uh, students will be able to, to get a mask break while they're at their seat and behind their uh, desk shield. Uh, the junior high had no changes. And at the high school, uh, we uh, went from a seven period day to uh, a three or four period day. Uh, Each class period will be 75 to 85 minutes. Uh, There will be a break taken during each class period. Uh, Students will be permitted to leave the classroom for emergency, emergency circumstances only.
4: Sanders said plans are in place to regularly sanitize buses and backup cleaning suppliers are ready. Secretary Deborah Mary said parents should familiarize children with wearing masks and get them excited for school. With the start
0: of the 2020-2021 school year quickly approaching, the Monroe County Community School Corporation is finalizing what this school year will look like for students and staff. WFHB correspondent, Alex Dieterer, provides us with an update.
6: As the evenings get a little cooler and the leaves become a little more colorful, the first day of school is just around the corner, although looking a bit different than years before. With 22 schools and just over 11,000 students, The Monroe County Community School Corporation has a lot to consider before school doors open in August. In a 5-2 vote at Tuesday's MCC-SC board meeting, high school students will now have the option to attend school five days a week under plan revisions. Superintendent Judy DeMuth recommended some revisions to the re-entry plan, including making the five-day option available for high school students, and allowing the district to abide by the guideline changes that are anticipated Friday from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. According to MCC-SC's Re-Entry and Recovery Plan, each morning before school, families must complete a home screening of their child, while staff members will also complete daily self-screenings. Teachers will also be trained on signs and symptoms of COVID-19. If a student has COVID-19 symptoms at any MCCSC SC school, they'll be isolated from other students in the health office while wearing their face covering and wait to be picked up by their guardian. At Tuesday's board meeting, MCCSC SC board member, Elizabeth Rue questioned MCCSC SC assistant superintendent, Andrea Mobley on the precautions taken if a student shows symptoms of COVID-19. Um, for Dr. Mobley, um well, I think I know this answer, but to
4: clarify, unless the health department is recommending that a family, that a student be tested or removed, we will never know that from the school, I'm sure that students will talk, but we'll never know from the school that somebody in our child's classroom has been, or has had symptoms and or potentially test positive. Is that correct?
0: So we will follow the guidance on the health department in terms of who might need to be notified. But of course, confidentiality is extremely important. And we have stressed that over and over again with all of our staff, the confidentiality of our students and our staff members is extremely important. If there's a need to notify, then we will notify, but we will remain confidential about who the individual is. And I've also been told by the health department, there will be times when they don't tell me who the individual is. Okay. So we may not know. And sometimes I know parents and teachers will, will want to know if, if we have a positive case, they'll want to know who, who the person is. And there may be times we don't even know. We may not know who, but we would know that we have one. And then we'd mm-hmm. be working with them to close the classroom, close the school or close the mm-hmm. corporation.
6: All MCCSC SC school health offices are staffed with a health aide or a nurse, sometimes both. Eight MCC-SC schools have a full-time nurse, while employing an additional nine full-time nurses who split their time among the other schools. MCCSC sc has employed 33 full-time health services staff, which includes 17 full-time registered nurses. According to the Herald Times, MCCSC Director of Health Services, Renee Stikeleather, said MCCSC nurses and health aides will undergo rigorous training on how to recognize the signs and symptoms of COVID-19, how to respond appropriately, and how to mitigate the infection process. Stikeleather said medical-grade masks will be worn by staff and health offices, and more personal protective equipment, such as gowns and face shields, will be available if needed. Come August, some Monroe County school staff, such as music teachers, occupational therapists, and school psychologists, will be traveling between schools, and in some cases, between school districts. According to the Herald Times, Mobley said an estimated 5% of district employees travel among buildings and all MCC SC schools have at least one teacher who travels to another school. Mobley goes on to say that if there is a confirmed COVID-19 case in a building that has an employee who travels and that building were to close, whether or not that employee would continue to work at a different building all depends on the situation. MCCSC sc families have until noon Wednesday to select either the online or hybrid option. Students and families will have the ability to change this decision within the first two weeks of school. It is unknown at the time how many students will choose the in-school option for the 2020-2021 school year. At the conclusion of the meeting, board members made motions to table three recommendations made by board member Brandon Schur. Delaying the start date for MCC-SC students having all mcc SC students start school online, and a new public reentry plan. The next regular meeting of the MCCSC board will be 6 p.m. July 28th at the CoLab 553 East Miller Drive in Bloomington. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieter.
2: U.S. Congressman John Lewis died on Friday to a long battle with cancer. In September of 2015, Lewis gave a lecture at the IU Auditorium titled The Power of Words. For more, we turn to WFHB News Director Cade Young.
7: John Lewis, a longtime Georgia congressman and black civil rights leader, died on Friday after a six month long battle with cancer. Lewis, the son of sharecroppers, was born in 1940, during an era of Jim Crow laws. He grew up to be a freedom writer, a speaker at the 1963 March on Washington, and a recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1986, and served 17 terms in Congress. On September 21, 2015, Lewis gave a lecture at the Indiana University Auditorium titled The Power of Words. He talked about how much society has progressed since the civil rights movement, but he also talked about the work that's left to be done. Community Access Television Services taped John Lewis's appearance at the IU Auditorium. In today's feature report, we revisit that discussion. Lewis grew up in a time of segregation, a system where he was told not to get in the way. He remembered hearing about the story of Rosa Parks and hearing the words and leadership of Martin Luther King Jr. He said it inspired him to get into trouble, good and necessary trouble.
3: When we visited the little town of Troy, visited Montgomery, visited Tuskegee, visited Birmingham, I saw those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. We went downtown on a Saturday afternoon to the theater. All of us little light children had to go upstairs to the balcony. All the little white children went downstairs to the first floor. I asked my mother, my father, my grandparents, my great grandparents, why? And they would say, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way. Don't get in trouble. But in 1955, 15 years old, in the 10th grade, i heard of Rosa Parks. Heard the words of Martin Luther King Jr. on our radio. The action of Rosa Parks, the words and leadership of Dr. King inspired me to find a way to get in the way. And I got in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble.
7: Two scholars sat in seats behind Lewis at the IU Auditorium. He said these two young men helped him publish three books at the time. Their names were Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell. The book series was a trilogy of graphic novels titled March about the Civil Rights Movement, told from the perspective of John Lewis. Lewis said he hoped these graphic novels would inspire a new generation.
3: Back in the late fifties and early sixties, we hadn't heard of the internet. Social media, what is that? We didn't have a website. But we used the philosophy and the discipline of nonviolence to change America. With many young people, that was young people from this state and from all across our country, blacks and whites, Latino and Asian american that literally put their bodies on the line during the sit ins, during the freedom rides, during the marches, be sitting there in an orderly, peaceful, nonviolent fashion, waiting to be served, and someone would come up and spit on us. We put a lighted cigarette in our hair or down our backs. Pour hot water, hot coffee on us. We didn't strike back. Many of us grew to accept the way of peace, the way of love, the way of nonviolence as a way of life, as a way of living. We wanted to redeem the soul of America. We thought if we can just get it right, maybe it would serve as a model for the rest of the world. March Book one and book two are saying to all of us that we can do it. We can change things. We can create a new America, a better America. We're saying in effect that we're one people, we're one family, we live in the same house, the American house, the world house that we must look out for each other, care for each other, and we can do it. Lewis
7: then spoke about the Freedom Riders in the 1960s. Freedom Riders were groups of young civil rights activists who took bus trips through the American South to protest segregated bus terminals.
3: I want to speak just one moment about the Freedom Rides. Those of you that wasn't not even born in 1961, the same year that President Obama was born. Just think in 1961, I was 21 years old, had all of my hair and a few pounds lighter, my first trip to Washington, D.C. In 1961, black people and white people could be seated together on a Greyhound bus, a trailway bus, leaving the nation's capital to travel through Virginia, through North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi on our way to New Orleans. We were testing a decision of the United States Supreme Court. Along the way we were beaten and jailed and arrested. And I remember on May 9, 1961, a group of us left Washington, arrived in a little town called Rock South Carolina about 35 miles from Charlotte, North Carolina, my sleepmate, a young white gentleman, the two of us tried to enter a so-called white waiting room. We were jumped and attacked by members of the Klan and left lying in a pool of blood. Many years later, one of the guys who beat us came to my office in Washington in February 09 in his 70s, his son in his 40s, who came with him. He said, Mr. Lewis, I'm one of the people that beat you. And your friend, I want to apologize. Will you forgive me? His son started crying. He started crying. I said, I accept your apology. I forgive you. They hugged me. I hugged them back, and I started crying. The signs that I saw growing up and the signs that I saw in the 60s, they're gone, and they will not return. The only place that we will see those signs, the only place that our children will see those signs today will be in a book, in a museum, on a video. And for people who said nothing has changed in America, I feel like saying, come and walk in my shoes and I'll show you change.
7: He reflected on voter suppression in the 1940s, where people were forced to pass a literacy test to register to vote. He said times have changed and that we are a better society today. However, he said there is still work to be done.
3: Just think a few short years ago, during the 40s and the 50s, during the 60s, in a place like Selma, and other towns and communities between Selma and Montgomery. People had to pass a so-called literacy test to register to vote. People stood in unmovable lines. On one occasion, a man was asked to count the number of bubbles in a bar of soap. On another occasion, a man was asked to count the number of jelly beans in a jar. There were African-American lawyers, doctors, college professors, high school principals, Housewives, farmers were told they could not pass their so-called literacy tests. In a place like Selma, the only time you could attempt to register was the first and third Mondays of each month. There was one county between Selma and Montgomery, Lowndes County, more than 80% African American. There was not a single registered African American voter in the county. The state of Mississippi had a black voting age population of more than 450,000 and only about 16,000 were registered to vote when the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was signed into law. But because of what happened on that bridge in Selma, the Congress responded, the President of the United States responded, passed that act, signed into law on August 6th. We live in a different America, a better America, but we're not
1: there yet.
3: It is our hope that March, book one, book two, and book three, and there may be a book four, would inspire all of us to realize that we must move together, or not at all. It was the late A. Philip Randolph who was said over and over again, he was dean of black leadership during the 60s. He championed the March on Washington in 1963. He was said from time to time, Maybe our foremothers and our forefathers all came to this great land in different ships. We're all in the same boat now. That's still true today. We must look out for each other and care for each other and continue to march forward to redeem the soul of America and create the beloved community. Thank you for being here. Thank you.
7: For WFHB, I'm Cade Young.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Aaron Comforty and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Alex Dieterer and Cade Young.
0: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Cade Young is our engineer and executive producer. For WFHB, I'm Sarah Vaughn,
2: And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as all other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org.
0: You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
2: Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.